It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine invite you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, the world-famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. As for me, I'd like to leave you with one thought. Namely, the best way to begin a good meal is to start it off with a glass of Petri California Sherry. While you're waiting for dinner to be ready, just sit back, take it easy, and sip some of that wonderful Petri Sherry. Now, there's a wine. Hold that Petri Sherry to the light and look at the rich amber color. Smells good, too, doesn't it? And just wait for that for sip. What a flavor. No kidding, you'll find that Petri Sherry can turn the usual before-dinner lull into a real event. Petri Sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. Try it. And say, if you like your sherry dry, you know, not sweet, just ask for Petri California Pale Dry Sherry. But no matter how you like it, you're sure to like it if the label says Petri. See for yourself. <laughs> And now for the weekly visit with our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. Tonight, we find him on the stage of the Paramount Theater in Hollywood. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. If you've bought a victory bond, you're welcome. I have, Doctor. Now, what's the recipe for tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? Well, now, let's see. Take equal parts of beautiful English countryside and black villainy. Mix them, add a dash of romance, a sprinkling of danger, season well with the usual theatrical condiments, and you have the case of the accidental murders. Sounds like a tasty dish. Uh, how did the story begin, Doctor? On a beautiful summer day in 1895, Holmes had just concluded his famous investigation of the sudden death of Cardinal Pisker, an inquiry which was carried out at the express desire of His Holiness the Pope. And in consequence, the great man felt that a couple of weeks' rest in the heart of Warwickshire would be a pleasant change after our rather strenuous adventures in Italy. And so, Mr. Bartell, we went to Stratford-on-Avon. Oh, the home of Shakespeare, huh? Quite right, my boy. As a matter of fact, that was the reason that decided us to go there. Holmes was a great lover of the drama, you know. And at the time my story begins, the Shakespearean festival was in full swing. For the first week, my life there was calm and peaceful. During the daytime, we visited the local places of interest, such as Anne Hathaway's cottage and Shakespeare's birthplace. And the evening found us at the theatre. It was on a Tuesday, I remember, during our second week's stay that the trouble began. Holmes and I had gone for a walk through the nearby forest of Avon. He was in unusually good spirits that morning, and there was a distant, distinct, I mean, trickle in his eye as he, as he said... Watson, for once I begin to wish that I were a man of wealth. Oh, and <clears throat> what makes you say that, Holmes? The beauty of this place, old fellow. I'm perfectly certain I'd be happy in retirement here. Rather depressing to think that in a week or two the sordid necessity of making money will demand my return to Baker Street in a world of criminals. No, I must say that in an environment like this, it is a little hard to think of crime. How does the old saying go? Where every prospect pleases, and only man is vile. Yes, but uh, Shakespeare puts it even better, old chap. Oh, really? What's he say? Well, surely you remember the speech in uh, As You Like It. We saw the production two nights ago. Oh, I don't remember the speech. How did it go? In this setting, it's really remarkably apposite. Are not these woods more free from pill than the envious court? Here feel we but the penalty of Adam, the season's difference. Don't you remember? Sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad ugly and venomous, wears yet precious jewel in his head. And this our life exempt from public haunt, finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, Sermons in songs, and good in everything. I would not change it. Upon <laughs> my soul, you read that much better than the fellow on the stage the other night. <laughs> Don't tell me I adopted the wrong profession, Watson. Oh, dear me, wait a minute. 
path seems to end here. Nothing but dense trees ahead of us. There's another path over there. I think it leads down to the river. Then let's follow it. The Avon is always... Great Scott, that was a... Ah. Holmes. Holmes, you hurt? Ah, yes, I think I am. Bullet hit my shoulder. I think it's only grazed it. Well, get off your coat quickly. Let's have a look. It's only a scratch. First, let's find out where it was fired from. I heard the thud of of a bullet in the tree behind me. Yes, here we are. Give me a penknife, old fellow, will you? There you are. Thanks. Do you suppose that that shot was deliberate? Well, I can't imagine someone mistaking me for a rabbit, Watson. And by the way, there was a curious echo to the shot. I don't know whether you noticed it. Uh Uh-huh. Here's the bullet. Now, let me see. I was standing there. A line from this bullet hole in the tree through a spot where I was standing would indicate that the shot was fired from that cluster of trees over there. Come on, Watson. Let's see what a search discloses. I wish you'd let me look at that shoulder before you start galloping all over the countryside, Holmes. You're bleeding quite profusely. Oh, plenty of time to look at it when we... Hello. Look over there. Uh, a man and woman running towards us across the clearing. Yes, and carrying guns. Yes, it looks as if it was an accident after all. Was anyone hurt? Yes, sir. My friend was hit in the shoulder. Oh, how dreadful. It's not a bad wound, is it? Oh, it's only a scratch, madam, I, I hope. But you put the blood on your coat. Oh, well, just, um... How did this, uh, well, this accident happen, sir? Well, we were, we were out rabbit shooting. I was teaching my wife to use a rifle. I, I saw a rabbit scurry across the clearing. I raised the rifle and fired. It seemed to me, Geoffrey, that as I did so, you jolted my arm. Yes, I'm afraid I did, Alice. I was going to fire too, but as I raised my rifle, I jolted your elbow and sent your shot wild. I, I can't tell you how sorry I am, sir. Uh, here, uh, here's my card. Of course, we'll take care of any expenses that may be entailed. Well, the first thing to do is to find out how much damage has been done. You'd better take your coat off, old fellow. I, uh, I, I don't, don't think I can. Oh, he, he's badly hurt. No, it, it's just that... Oh, oh, the man's fainted. Oh, this is dreadful. Uh, I have a horse and trap down the road. Listen, give me a hand with him, will you? Uh, I must get him to a hospital as, as fast as possible. <laughs> Holmes, are you feeling any better? Has the nurse gone? Yes, yes, yes. She's bringing the house surgeon. And the uh, man and his wife? They're down in the hospital waiting room. Oh. I found out their name. It's it's Markham. Then we're alone. Yes, 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 old fellow. In that case, I can stop behaving as if I were at death's door. Holmes, you mean that you you shammed that collapse just now? <laughs> yes, yes, I did, Watson. Oh, but there's spare me oh, a little pity, old chap. My shoulder's confoundedly painful, I assure you. Well, uh, I'm sure it is. What made you pretend to faint? I recognize this Mrs. Markham, and I think you recognize me. It's important she assume I'm out of action for a while. Oh? Mrs. Markham. Why? Well, Mrs. Markham is, uh, in reality, the notorious Mrs. Dangerfield. You remember the Dangerfield case? The Dangerfield? Great. Scott. Yes. She was tried for the murder of her husband by poisoning, wasn't it? Yes, she was, old fellow. She was acquitted, and the jury decided she was an habitual arsenic addict... Who happened to take an accidental overdose? Well, didn't you have some connection with the case? It was I who tracked down the sale of the arsenic she claimed to have bought for cosmetic purposes. Well, if you ask me, that shot at you was no accident. Oh, of course it wasn't. I'm certain that I was recognized. In any case, her record is a bad one. Uh, Prior to her husband's death, there was an episode in which her uncle was killed in a shooting accident on a grouse moor in Scotland. An uncle who left her a large fortune on his death. I suppose Mrs. Dangerfield was a member of the shooting party when the uh, accident happened. Yes, she was. Now, she's something of a femme fatale, Warden. I must plan my actions very cautiously. I'm up against a dangerous opponent. Well, you'll have to stay in the hospital until your wound's being examined and dressed. That's true, fellow. And while the local staff are taking care of that, I want you to shadow the Markham. Of course I will, Holmes. Stick close to them, old fellow. Make them believe that I'm going to be kept here for some days. Find out as much as you can, and then report to me. Right, I'll do my best. <laughs> It's, it's awfully kind of you, Mrs. Markham, to insist on having me back to your house for lunch. My dear Dr. Watson, after injuring the famous Mr. Holmes, it's the least I could do. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Jeffrey, dear, will you bring us some sherry? It's Ada's day off, you know. Very well, Alice. Uh, is anyone else coming to lunch? Only Dennis Romney. Oh, Lord, that fellow seems to live here. Well, I'll go and get the sherry. 
down, won't you, Dr. Watson? Oh, thank you, madam. Thank you. You, uh, you say that you think Mr. Holmes will be in the hospital for some days? I'm afraid so. The wound wasn't serious. He lost quite a bit of blood. Oh, I feel perfectly dreadful about it. Well, you mustn't blame yourself too much, madam. It was an accident. Yes, but I might so easily have killed him. Well, you haven't, and that's all that matters. Uh, did you say that, uh, Dennis Romney was coming to lunch? Is that the actor fellow from the Memorial Theatre? Yes. Have you seen him on the stage? Yes, 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 yes. Several times. Holmes and I have been going to the festival regularly since we came down here. A fine actor, isn't he? A shame they give him such poor parts. Well, good. Imagine them letting that frightful Basil Grant play Hamlet last night, while Dennis only played Laertes. Yes. Dennis is three times a better actor. <laughs> he, uh, he's coaching me in acting. Oh, coaching you? Really? Yes, he thinks that I may be able to get small parts here next season. I've always had a great urge to go on the stage, but no one's ever encouraged me before. Oh, here's Jeffrey. This sherry's rather special, Doctor. Perez de la Frontera. <laughs> Only a few bottles left. Oh, that's very nice of you, sir. Oh, that must be Dennis. I'll go let him in. Yeah, we, might as, we might as well have a drink. You'll find it'll help making this actor a little more tolerable. I take it, Mr. Markham, that you're not an admirer of Mr. Dennis Romney. Can't bear him. He's always quoting Shakespeare and behaving generally as if he were another Irving. <laughs> He's got Alice completely fooled. <laughs> glass, Doctor. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Dennis, I want to introduce you to Dr. Watson. How do you do, Mr. Romney? How do you do, sir? Hello, Jeffrey. Uh, want a glass of sherry? Uh, thanks. That'd be very nice. Are you um, a disciple of the theatre, Dr. Watson? Well, hardly a disciple, sir, but I've been attending the festival during the last week. I enjoyed your performances immensely, if I may say so. Oh, you may, sir, Doctor. Here's your sherry, Dennis. Oh, don't be crotty, Jeffrey. And please remember that Dennis is our guest. Oh, it's all right, Alice. I know that Jeffrey's bark is a good deal worse than his bark. <clears throat> and, uh, and what play are you appearing in tonight, Mr. Romney? King Lear. I shall once again portray the thankless role of the King of France. Well, that incredibly bad actor, Basil Grant, tears a multitude of passions to tatters in his rendition of Lear. Oh, horrible, horrible, most horrible. I thought his Hamlet was atrocious last night, Dennis. Wasn't it? When he came to his final line, the rest is silence. It was as much as I could do to prevent cheering. I felt rather the same way when you were killed in the duel, Dennis. Oh, Jeffrey, you're being intolerably rude. Why don't you take Dr. Watson upstairs and show him your butterfly collection? Then at least you'll know what you're talking about. Are you interested in butterflies, Doctor? I, I have quite a rare collection. Oh, really? I'd like to see them very much. Come on, then. I think we've just got time before lunch. Try and bring yourself down with a few better manners, Jeffrey, dear. I'm really quite an easygoing man, Doctor, but the arrogance of that fellow Romney infuriates well, me. Well, I must say, he does seem to have rather a good opinion of himself. Don't, uh, don't put too much weight on that balcony rail. It's absolutely full of wormholes. <laughs> Part of the attraction of an old house, my wife tells me. <laughs> but I regard it as confoundedly dangerous. Yeah, and this is my little museum. <laughs> In these cases, I think you'll find some of the finest specimens of Lepidoptera you've ever seen. It's my hobby, and I may say that, with the exception of the Natural History Museum, I doubt if you'll find a finer collection. It must have taken you years to collect them. Well, it has. Many years, many disappointments, and a great deal of patience. <laughs> Look at this fellow. He's my prize specimen, a North American monarch. North American monarch? Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, isn't he? And this is an admiral. Well, of course oh, I very know him. rare. And this is a fit Beehawk moth. Beehawk and uh, moth. here's an emperor. Ever see more exquisite markings? Well, never. Uh, tell me, Mr. Markham, when you captured a butterfly, how do you kill it without marking it in any way? With poison. Oh? What poison? Cyanide. Not arsenic? You heard me say cyanide, Doctor. The only reason I mention it is that a friend of mine collected butterflies once, and I'm certain that he always used arsenic to kill them. Why do you keep talking of arsenic? You're trying to hint at something. Oh, no, no, my dear fellow. I was just curious, that's all. Yes. Trifle too curious, perhaps. Huh, there's the luncheon gong. Let's go downstairs again. Ah, so, man, I didn't mean to offend you. Oh, of course you didn't. But my nerves are a little on edge today. It must be that accident to your friend that's upset him. I really must get that balcony rail mended. Shh. Shh. What is it, sir? My wife. And young Romney. They're going to touch. Listen. But darling, why won't he understand? 
Arthur, you step this to Jeffrey has no imagination. He's never understood you. Well, Doctor, they say that listeners never hear good of themselves. You know, sometimes I wonder if my wife wouldn't like me out of the way. Now, let's go down to lunch, shall we? That's the story up to now. A very interesting one, too, Watson. So you think that uh, Mrs. Markham is planning to kill her husband, eh? Oh, it's obvious. She's in love with the actor fuller, Dennis Romney. Her husband's in the way, and if she doesn't want to use poison this time, there's a, a perfect setting for murder in that crumbling balustrade on the landing. Mm-hmm. One push when he wasn't looking, and it'd be the end of him. And no one could prove that she did. A charming household. And Mr. Markham became very evasive, you say, when you mentioned arsenic. Yes. I said it deliberately, of course, to see how he'd react. If you ask me, he knows that his wife has asked of the house. And he was trying to protect her. You've exerted your charm sufficiently to arrange to see them again, I trust. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. They're taking a picnic tea and going boating on the Avon this afternoon. They asked me to join them. Of course, I, I agreed. I just rushed back here to the hospital to report to you first. You've done splendidly, Watson, splendidly. Oh, thank you, Watson. Well, uh, but uh, I've been so busy <laughs> telling you what I've found out that I haven't asked you about you. Um, uh, uh, I feel oh, I'm fine, old fellow, fine. Uh, what did the house surgeon discover? A very interesting fact... Look in the drawer beside my bed, will you? Great Scott, it's, it's a bullet. A bullet that the house surgeon removed from my shoulder. But, but we found a bullet in the tree also. Precisely. Therefore, two bullets were fired. But, good Lord, that means... It means, old chap, that we have a dangerous task ahead of us. Not to solve a murder, but to prevent one. <laughs> We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's unusual story in just a moment. Meanwhile, I'd like to remind you that good cooking becomes wonderful cooking if you serve your good food with a Petri wine. If you like a red wine, say with meat or any meat dish, try Petri California Burgundy. If white wine's your favorite, then you'll love Petri California Sauterne. It's wonderful. But Burgundy or Sauterne, whichever you prefer, it's just bound to be good if you see the letters P-E-T-R-I on the bottle. Because Petri wine is always good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what happened next? We left you at Sherlock Holmes' bedside in the hospital. Did the picnic with Mr. and Mrs. Markham prove an exciting one? No, no, it was rather unpleasant, as a matter of fact. The three of them kept squabbling all the time, and just as we were coming home, something unforeseen occurred. Mr. Markham fell into the river. Well, pardon the old question, Doctor, but uh, did he fall or was he pushed? It was hard for me to say. I had my back to him when he fell. Uh, of course, we fished him out and rattled him back home in a trap as fast as we could. He changed his clothes at once, and as we sat around the fire a little later, I could see that he'd caught a chill. In fact, I recommended that he go to bed and stay there. Mrs. Markham uh, agreed with me. Jeffrey, dear, I, I do wish you'd follow Dr. Watson's advice and go to bed. For the fifth time, Alice, I will not go to bed. I'm perfectly all right. No, it's no thanks to you and Dennis. And what do you mean by that remark, Jeffrey? You know perfectly well what I mean. It wasn't an accident that I fell in the river just now. One of you two pushed me when I was struggling with the punt pole in the long reeds. Jeffrey, you're talking rubbish. Am I? You were in the boat, Dr. Watson. Didn't you see what happened? No, I didn't see her. My back was turned to you when you fell in. Well, then we'll call it an accident. An accident that happened by a curious coincidence, just where the river is deepest and the reeds thickest. Jeffrey, I don't like your tone. You can accuse me of anything you like, but when you start suggesting that if Alice... If you don't is... like the way I talk to my wife, I suggest that you don't come to my house. I'm going to get a scarf. I'm chilly. <sighs> Dr. Watson, I, I must apologize for my husband's behavior. I don't know what's come over Oh, him. that's quite all right, Mr. Markham. I quite understand. Well, I wish I did. I, I don't mind yelling at me, but... He's being so abominably rude to you, Alice. The last couple of weeks, it's been getting worse than ever. I know. Ever since we had that argument about the insurance policies, he's been unbearable. Insurance? Yes, Doctor. We took out quite large policies on each other's lives recently. You you didn't tell me that, Alice. Well, it, it was his idea. And yet, when the insurance man came here, you'd have thought I was forcing him into taking out the policy. Insurance? Great Scott, I... I... You what, Doctor? 
I, uh, nothing, Mr. Markham, nothing at all. Sounds as if you don't approve of insurance, sir. Oh, it's not that, Romney, it's just that I... Who can that be? I wasn't expecting anyone. Answer the door, Dennis, will you? Yes, sounds as if Jeffrey's already done so. Oh, uh, Alice, we have a visitor. Holmes, you shouldn't be up. Good evening, Mrs. Markham. Hello, Watson. Well, uh, I'm delighted to see you, Mr. Holmes. So I understood from your friend that you'd be in the hospital for several days. The constitution of an ox and the obstinacy of a mule, two characteristics of mine, have combined in making possible an early departure from the hospital. (laughs) How do you do, Mr. Romney? I think I've seen you at the theatre. My name is Sherlock Holmes. How do you do, sir? You'll stay to supper, I hope. If it's not inconvenient, Mrs. Markham. Of course it isn't. I'll go in and arrange for it. On my soul, Holmes, I, I'm glad to see you. And are you all, fellow? Let's take a stroll on the terrace, shall we? It's rather warm inside this evening. You can go out through the French windows. Oh, thank you, Mr. Markham. Holmes, are you quite sure that you're well enough to go walking about? Of course I am. You must tell me, Watson, what the latest developments are. In the meantime, I myself have not been idle. Yes, Watson, I think our stage is set, and I have a feeling that I may contribute to a rather dramatic last act curtain. Delightful meal, Mrs. Markham. Thank you, Doctor. (laughs) Mr. Holmes, you're not eating very much. My appetite is a trifle jaded. The mental fencing that we have indulged in during the meal has been somewhat disturbing. I don't understand you. Oh, come now, madam. I know that you were once Mrs. Angerfield, and you know that I know it. Why keep up the pretense any longer? Very well, Mr. Holmes. But needn't converse in lowered voices. I'm sure that you've told Dr. Watson whatever there is to know, and perhaps more. I admire your courage, madam. Jeffrey, Dennis. Yes, sir. I want you to listen to this. Mr. Sherlock Holmes knows that I was once Mrs. Dangerfield. He's apparently under the impression that this is a dark secret of mine. Mr. Holmes, Jeffrey knew and loved me before I ever married Mr. Dangerfield. Of course I did, Holmes. He stood by me during the horrible trial after my first husband's death. And I told Dennis about the whole miserable business months ago. So I really don't see that you've uncovered any great secrets. Not yet, Mrs. Markham, but I have a feeling that it's only a matter of moments. So you haven't got any secrets from Dennis either, eh? There's no need to shout, Geoffrey. There's no need for Dennis to be in my house. Get out, Romney, and stay out. This business between you and Alice has gone far enough. I'll go when Alice tells me to. Well, if you won't go, then I'm not going to sit here. I'm... I'm going upstairs. You're shaking like a leaf, sir. You've got a fever. Don't you think you'd better go to bed? Mind your own business and leave me alone. Uh, Mrs. Markham, I really think you should persuade your husband to go upstairs and lie down. Don't worry, Miss Holmes. I know how to handle him. I'll take him up. Put an arm around my shoulder, Geoffrey. Come along. We should follow them, Holmes. They have to pass that crumbling banister on the landing. With him in that state, she, she might try to... What are you suggesting, Shh. Doctor? Come and watch, both of you. We can observe them both from the foot of the stairs here. They're on the landing. She's on the outside. Look, 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 look. Markham's stumbled against her. He's pushed her against the railings. Look out! Come on, up the stairs! Alice, are you all right? Yes, but Geoffrey tried to push me through the railing. That's a lie. No, it isn't, sir. The three of us were watching you from below. But the railing held. I I don't understand. I can explain that, Watson. This afternoon, while you were all at your picnic, I came here with a local carpenter. You had informed me, old fellow, that it was the maid's day off, and I took the liberty of reinforcing that decaying woodwork. What the blazes do you think you've been up to, Holmes? Preventing murder, sir, and finding the true solution to the Dangerfield case. What do you mean, Mr. Holmes? The true solution? Surely it's obvious to you, Mrs. Markham. You have told us that your present husband loved you before you married Mr. Dangerfield. It was he who accidentally killed your uncle so that you might inherit a fortune. It was he who accidentally gave your first husband an overdose of arsenic. Arsenic that he obtained for the purpose of destroying butterflies. Yes, yes, it was he who tried to send you to your death by pushing you through those railings. And all the time, Mrs. Markham, I thought that you were the potential murderer. You fellows have got hold of the wrong end of the stick. All I've been trying to do is to seal the fact that my wife was a murderer. Jeffrey, how can you say that? Markham, it's just a moment, Mr. Romney. I'm not through with him yet. This talk is all very dramatic, Mr. Holmes, but I wonder how you're going to be able to prove it. Dr. Watson, Mr. Romney and I will testify to the attempt that you've just made on Mrs. Markham's life. Yes, and what about the attempt on your life, Holmes? Obviously, it was Markham who fired at you in the woods. But my wife has already admitted firing the shot. Uh, true, sir. But two shots were fired. 
The one that your wife fired, we found at the tree. The one that you fired was extracted from my shoulder in the hospital. Then the two shots were fired simultaneously. You remember, Watson, that I commented at the time on a curious echo. Mrs. Markham told us that her arm was jolted as she pulled the trigger. That was when the other rifle was fired. Mr. Markham didn't want me on the scene when he staged his latest accident, and so he tried to kill me. What kind of a devil have I been living with all these years? I think I'm going to kill you, Mark. Don't come near me. Keep him away from me. I'll leave him to the look courts, Mr. Romney. British justice may be slow, as indeed it was in the Dangerfield case, but in the long run, it is sure. We'll find that out, Mr. Markham, on the gallows. Now, another mystery on Mystery Radio XXX. For the safety of your smile, use Pepsodent twice a day. See your dentist twice a year. Lever Brothers Company presents the Pepsodent Program. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. <laughs> Philip Marlowe, the screen's most famous private detective, created by Raymond Chandler, brought to you on the air by Pestident, and starring MGM's brilliant and dynamic young actor, Van Heflin. <laughs> Families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste. New Pestident with Irium. New, fresh-tasting Pestident with a new, cool, minty flavor. Yes, in a recent test, New Pestident was preferred three to one over any other toothpaste. It's true. With families all over America, New Pestident is the favorite three to one. Families from coast to coast recently compared New Pestident with the toothpaste they were using at home. They preferred New Pepsodent by an overwhelming average of 3 to 1 over any other brand they tried. These families, 3 to 1, said New Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Yes, in a recent survey, families 3 to 1 said New Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Get New Pepsodent toothpaste for your family right away. Now, the adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. white lips. He wore a neat pinstripe flannel suit with a small rosebud in the lapel. He carried an ebony cane. And he wore spats. He looked a smart 60, and unless his ulcers got nasty, I gave him another 15 years, which was pretty big of me. He sat down, speared me with those barbed gray eyes, and came right down to business. Mr. Philip Marlowe, I believe? That's right. My name is Wadsworth Chita. How do you do, Mr. Jader? You're a private detective? Well, why not? Frankly, sir, I'd expected the Hollywood detective's office to be somewhat more glamorous or rather more elegant, shall we say? No. Philo Vance has a branch office here on the fourth floor if you're shopping oh, around. No, no, can... no, no. You'll do, I'm sure. Well, my rate is 25 bucks a day, plus expenses. Money is no object. Except when you don't have much of it. That seems to be the motivating philosophy where Miss Harriet Huntress is concerned. Who or whom is Miss Harriet Huntress? A rather standard, rather obvious gold digger who wishes to marry Grover. Hmm. You want to tell me who Grover is? Grover is my adopted stepson, my late wife's son. Go on. Next year, he will inherit a million dollars left him by his mother. Which explains Miss Huntress's interest in Grover. Precisely. Hmm. Look, Mr. Jader, am I being hired to smear Miss Harriet Huntress? Not at all. Merely to disillusion Grover about her. Yeah, well, that's the same thing. I think you'd better find yourself another boy. Wait, wait, there's more. Okay, let's hear it. Do you know a man named Marty Estelle? Sure, he's a big-time gambler out on Sunset Strip. Why? Mr. Estelle claims my son Grover owes him $50,000. 
Well, then Grover'd better pay up if I know Marty Estelle. But suppose my son doesn't really owe Estelle the money. Does he or doesn't he? Mr. Estelle supplied photostat copies of Grover's notes with Grover's signatures. I thought they might be forged, so without Grover's knowledge, I took them to a handwriting expert named John Arbogast. A sort of detective. No. He's not sure. He wants more time. I... I'd like you to take over the case. Harriet Huntress and all. Miss Huntress, as you may know, is associated with Mr. Estelle. Well, that's incidental. I'll handle the forgery case and not the slander job. Now, where does this Arbogast have his office? On Sunset near Ivar. Okay, I'll look it up. Miss Huntress? She lives at the El Milano on North Sycamore. I'll look her up, too. Arbogast and Huntress in the order named. no snooty secretary to prevent me from walking right into John D. Arbogast's extremely fat presence on Sunset near Ivar. He was an enormously fleshy gent with a thick neck that was in folds like a concertina. He wore a wrinkled dark suit that needed cleaning and some reweaving where it had some small holes in it. Arbogast just sat and stared at me with the whites of his eyes because those three holes that needed reweaving were bullet holes. And John D. Arbogast was dead, very recently dead. I left in a hurry, and as far as I could tell, nobody saw me come, nobody saw me go. My next stop was the Swank El Milano Hotel on North Sycamore. Just a second, mister. Something you want? Yeah, yeah, who are you? I'm the house detective. Well, I'm looking for a Miss Harriet Huntress. Miss Huntress ain't seeing anyone. You can tell her it's Marty Estelle. Are you? Marty Estelle? I'm from him. That's different, ain't it? That's none of your business, is it? Well, whatever you're up to, you're not playing it very smooth. Well, some days I feel like playing it smooth, and some days I feel like playing it like a waffle iron. Well, if you must know, I'm one of the boys. Philip Marlowe, private eye. Here, it's my card. Well, that's another story. I'll phone up to Miss Hunter. Yeah, uh, say I'm from Marty Estelle, and that make it convincing, huh? Uh, how much convincing? Oh, well, how much do those cigars you're smoking cost you? Twenty-two fifty, box of fifty. That much convincing? Well, that's cute. You and me are going to get along. I'll phone Miss Huntress, but you go right on up, room eight one four. I just know it'll be all right. Harriet Huntress was too tall to be cute, too beautiful to be really cheap. Her green eyes were wide set, and there was plenty of thinking room between them. Her hair was a dusky red, like fire seen through a haze. The green eyes were that much green ice as she sized me up in the doorway. Well, what's the big message, Sonny? I'd have to come in. I never could speak very well in public. Come in. Never could speak very well on a dry throat, either. There's the scotch. Help yourself. Thank you. So, you're from Marty Estelle? No, not uh, strictly, not even loosely. Not at all, in fact. What's your racket? No racket. Marty will love to know you used his name. I'm shaking in my shoes. You're some kind of detective, aren't you? Yeah, pardon. Philip Marlowe. He's good to got you. I'm glad you like it. Now, what's your business? All right. How much will you take to give up Grover? You look smart, but you talk stupid. Old man Jeter's pretty tough. His idea is that you get nothing. You get smeared. I don't see it that way. How much? How about $50,000? How about $500? How about talking about the effect of the rain on the rhubarb? Now, look, sister. Suppose we skip the footwork, considering the sobering fact that a man named John D. Arbogast has already been murdered in this little case. Does that have anything to do with me? I don't know. He was hired to analyze some notes Grover gave Marty Estelle. He was killed just after I took over the case. Do you think Marty Estelle works that way? You know him better than I do, does he? Have you told the police yet? No, I thought I'd see if I could make a deal with you first. I'm going to tell you something. My people were nice people who never got involved in murders. Old Jeter ruined my father. My dad shot himself and my mother died of the shock. I'm going to fix Jeter for that someday. 
Even if I have to marry his son to do it. Adopted stepson really has no relation at all. It'll hurt Jeter just as hard. And the kid will have a million dollars next year. I could do worse. Even if he does drink too much. You wouldn't want Grover to hear that now, would you? No. Turn around and have a look, gumshoe. I turned fast. He stood about four feet from me. Big, blonde, powerful. Whiskey in his brain and blood in his eyes. <laughs> I can say anything I want around Grover. It's all right with him. Isn't it, Grover? That's right, Harry. He's trying to break us up, Grover. What do you think of that? I think maybe I better break him up. That's what I think of that. <laughs> she laughed and that made me mad. I turned to growl at her. It was a dirty look. It was the look of the month. That was a mistake. The big guy hit me. I went over sideways. It wasn't a hard punch, but my head hit a desk going down, and the desk got the decision. It gets dark fast in Southern California, but seldom that fast. When I came out of it, Grover, the blonde sucker puncher, and Harriet Huntress were gone. The bottle of scotch was still there, so I took that for a souvenir and stuffed it in my pocket and floated down the elevator into the street. It was dark by the time I got back to my apartment on Hobart Avenue in Hollywood. I turned on the light, and there stood a big guy, another big guy. This was National Big Guy Week. This one had a big nose, the dead color of wax, and he had a 22 caliber Colt Woodsman pointed straight at me. Close the door and reach. Come on. I turned a little to close the door. I got my hand under my coat. Then I turned back to Waxnose fast. I had my luger out. We stood there facing each other. Waxnose didn't seem at all impressed with my automatic. I uh, just came to tell you to be smart. You're looking at a luger, mister. I know. Men of distinction carry lugers. Me, I pack this small bore because I can shoot. If uh, you think you can take me, go to it. Now, look, what's the game? Uh, maybe you can take a hint, and maybe you can. Maybe, maybe not. What is it? Lay off, old cheaters, boy. Well, I wouldn't think of contradicting anyone who uses a Colt Woodsman twenty-two with the front sight filed off. Must think he's pretty good. I am good. Yeah. And that's why I say, okay, pal. We'll see. Speaking of 22s, do you know anybody named John Arbogast? Uh, I meet such a lot of people. Well, this one was fat and shot three times with a 22. I don't remember shooting no fat guys today. So long, chum. Remember what I told you. Play off, Grover. So long, chum. Yeah. Swell. Ah, oh, shut up. Yeah. Mr. Marlowe? Oh, Mr. Jeter. Well, your son or your adopted son or your stepson or whatever he is poked me in the jaw today. He is both my stepson and my adopted son. Well, both of them poked me in the jaw. My word, where? In Miss Huntress's apartment. You spoke to her? What did she say? She wants 50 grand and no dice. I offered her 500. Just as a gag. Just as a gag? Mr. Marlowe, perhaps you underestimate the importance of this matter Listen, to me. Listen, Mr. Jeter, there are some very unusual angles to this case. For example... A gunman just stuck me up in my own apartment and told me to stay off of this case. What? I don't see why this case should get so tough. Good heavens. Listen, Mr. Marlowe, my chauffeur, Waldo, will pick you up in my limousine. I want to talk to you. All right. I'll tell Waldo to park on Hobart facing Franklin. He'll be around for you in 20 minutes. Good. Just give me time to drink my dinner. Bye-bye. <laughs> swung left for a couple of hundred yards and left again, aiming for a driveway flanked by 12-foot wrought iron gates. Then something happened. Someone was standing in the glare of our headlights. Waldo swore and slammed on the brake shelf. You stupid drone, get out of the driveway! The man stepped toward us. In the next minute, there was that same Colt 22 staring to my face again. All right, this is a heist. 
Get out of the car, both of you. Look, Waxnose, haven't you had enough fun for one night? Buzz off, bum. Shut up and get out. I'd have to think some more on that, Buster. I'm warning you, I'll let you have it. Don't be a goon, you're going. All right, you ask for it. Hey! Holy. You shot the guy. Yeah. I shot him. It was this. All in fun. Yeah, some fun. It did the work. Uh, Jeter's house is right ahead. You sound as if you just shot a nickel and a pinball machine instead of a man. Now listen, turn off those lights and let's get out of here, but fast. You are listening to The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. Yes, families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste. New Pepsodent with invigorating irium foam. New fresh-tasting Pepsodent with a new cool minty flavor. In a recent test, new Pepsodent was preferred three to one over any other toothpaste. It's true. Families all over America say new Pepsodent is their favorite three to one. The William Kilpatrick family, 212 South Missouri, Claremore, Oklahoma, preferred new Pepsodent on every single count. The Kilpatricks say new Pepsodent tastes best of all, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. On all these counts, by an overwhelming average of three to one, families prefer new Pepsodent over any other toothpaste they tried. It's a fact. Families three to one say new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, and makes teeth brighter. Remember, this is not just our opinion. It's the honest conviction of the Kilpatricks and other families who are asked to compare new Pepsodent with the toothpaste they were using at home. Get new Pepsodent, the only toothpaste containing irium. Get it for your family without delay. We continue with the adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin, who appears by arrangement with Metro-Golden-Mare, producers of The Romance of Rosie Ridge, starring Van Johnson. drove back to my apartment again, leaving Waxnose lying dead in the Jeter driveway. We went back to my place to start all over again, over what was left of my purloined scotch. Yeah, this is good scotch you've got here, Marlowe. Pinch bottle. Not this. Sure, I pinched it from the apartment of Harriet Hunter's. <laughs> well, bottoms up. Waldo, do you think that gunman was there to scare young Grover into realizing Marty still means business? Could be. I always drove Grover home around that time. Uh, it just doesn't sound like Marty is still to pick that sort of a helper. Well, sure. Maybe that's why he picked him. Because it didn't seem like Marty is still. Yeah. Uh, that's good thinking, Waldo. Dartmouth, 37. Ra, ra, ra. That would be either the cops or Mr. Jeter. Hello. Yes, Mr. Dieter, and the reason we're not in your study now is lying outside of your front gate. What's that you're saying? Somebody jumped us outside of your gate and Wallace shot him dead. Good Lord. Yeah. Listen, Marlowe, come here at once. Do you hear at once? I'll send Waldo, Mr. Jeter. I want to see you. You. Waldo will tell you all about it, Mr. Jeter. Marlowe. Good night, Mr. Jeter. After Waldo, the chauffeur, had left, I went back to the El Milano Hotel. Hawkins, the house stick, was all smiles and open palms. I placed no confidence in his smile and a $20 bill in his palm. <laughs> Harriet Huntress again? Uh, what's the matter? Just take me up to her apartment, that's all, huh? Yeah, sure. Right this way, fella. Hawkins took me to the eighth floor, room 814, and opened the door. There was someone in the room, waiting. Uh, here's company for you, Mr. Estelle. Beat it, Hawkins. Yeah, this is the guy I was telling you about, Mr. Estelle. Come in earlier today. Said he was from you. Did I said. Oh, sure, sure. Come on in, Marlowe. I came to see Miss uh, Hunter's, not you, Estelle. Well, first of all, Harriet's not home. I came to tell her what happened outside of Jeter's gate. Hmm. So you keep informed. I can't wait for her any longer. Got to get back to the casino. Well, then, what did you come back for, Marlowe? I'm looking for the Jeter boy. After what happened to him tonight, he needs somebody to walk behind him. You think I play games like that? All I know is we were shot at. I asked you a question. I answered it to the best of my knowledge. 
What knowledge, for example? Well, for example, you hold $50,000 worth of Grover's notes for gambling debts. I've got $50,000 invested in the kid. Would I be likely to bump him off? Ah. That makes sense, all right. I always make sense. Oh, bully for you. When I have 50 grand invested in a guy, I'm have to find out all about him. Like about old Jeter hiring a man named Arbogast to work for him. Ah? Uh-huh. Arbogast was shot today. You know it. I know because I had you followed. You didn't tell the law, Marlowe. That could be very hard on you. Well, it could. Does that make you and me friends? Hmm. A little blackmail, huh? Not much. We'll call it, uh, tattletale grail mail. <laughs> <laughs> From now on, do you stop bothering Miss Huntress? Yeah, you win, Marty. Well, that's all. I've got to go. Well, I'll just uh, wait around for a bit, okay? Well, Harriet Scotch is in that cabinet there. Thanks. I'll roll up my pants and go waiting in it. <laughs> you know, Marla, I like you. You're cute. <laughs> so long, Charlie. Marty Estelle was right. He wouldn't kill anybody who owed him money and was soon to come into a lot of it. Now I was in bed with the police for not reporting Arbogast's murder. Well, I looked around Harriet's apartment vaguely, walked into the bedroom, and stopped. Because mixed with the fragrance of good perfume and good cosmetics was the plain, ordinary, homespun odor of gunpowder. I walked across the room and yanked open the closet door and stepped back. There, just as big as life, but as dead as they ever come, was young Grover Jeter. And at Grover's feet, among the graceful shoes in Harriet's closet, was a tiny pearl-handled automatic. I felt bad about that. Because I guessed that the dainty holes, the bullets from that dainty gun, would fit the two dainty holes over Grover's heart. I put the neat little pistol in my pocket. I, um, I thought old man Jeter ought to know about his son, I thought. I didn't expect to find Waldo, the chauffeur, and Harriet Huntress with old Jeter in Jeter's big study, but there they were. Why, Mr. Marlowe, I'd have given up hoping to see you tonight. Well, I changed my mind about coming out again, Mr. Jeter. Oh, Waldo. Hi, Marlowe. Didn't expect to see you here, Miss Huntress. Didn't you? Did you expect to see me here? Never mind that, Marlowe. I want to know where my son is. What do you mean, Mr. Jeter? He's missing. That's what I mean. Oh. Hmm. He's missing and no one knows where he is. I know. Hey, What's that? Where, Marlowe? Miss Huntress, where did you and Grover go after Grover took that sucker punch at me in your apartment? We went out together in a taxi. During the ride, I had a change of heart. I didn't want Grover or Grover's money. I told Grover to find another playmate, and I got out in Beverly Hills. Grover went on in the taxi. Well, where did you go? Back to my apartment. Later, I got out my car to come down here and tell Mr. Jeter I decided to forget the whole thing. For him to call off his dime novel salute. A dime will no longer buy a novel of any description, but that is beside the point. You said you knew where Grover is. That's not beside the point, is it, Mr. Mallow? He's back in Harriet's apartment. Well, I didn't let him in. How on earth could he? Hawkins, your house detective let him in. The last I saw of Grover, he is dead. Oh, what? What's that? Dead. Dead. Shot with a small caliber gun. I can't believe it. I I can't. It's Grover. It's dead. Miss Huntress, this twenty-five caliber pistol was on the floor at Grover's feet. Here, take it. Look it over, will you? Mine. You murderous. You... I'm not. You, you cold-blooded murderous. Oh, stop that. Stop it, both of you. It could have been suicide. Suicide? Well, yes. That's a possibility, of course. I see you like that idea, Jeter. But it wasn't suicide. Then she did it. The murderous, the scheming, contemptible... It was murder, and it's fairly obvious who did it, Jeter. Eh? Uh, Marty Estelle is my guess. Well, guess again, Waldo. Estelle had $50,000 invested in Grover. He wouldn't kill a golden goose like that. And Waxnose didn't do it because he was dead, thanks to Waldo here. That leaves her. She did it. There had to be a motive and an opportunity. Well, it was her apartment after all. Correct, Waldo. But Grover was Jeter's adopted stepson. Oh, like a real son he was to me. A real son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you lovely people know that in the state of California, a man can inherit from an adopted son who has money and who gets dead? Did you know that, Mr. Jeter? Why, 
What do you mean? You're inheriting Grover's million dollars would be a motive for killing him, wouldn't it? Mr. Marlowe. That was the motive, Jeter, and it was Waldo's job to find the opportunity to murder Grover for you. All right, Marlowe. That'll be all for you. Well, Waldo, the Dartmouth gun fanner. Huh? Drop that gun, Waldo. Shut up. I said drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Uh, hey, that's nice shooting, Harriet. My hand, my hand. Now, Pop will put a little Band-Aid on for you, Waldo. Waldo, you could have gotten into my apartment wearing that chauffeur's uniform. Uh, you could have gone in through the garage entrance and up the back way. Sure. When Grover let him in, he backed Grover into the room with his gun, but he shot him with yours. How much was Jeter going to pay you for this job, Waldo? Don't talk, Waldo. He's bluffing. You're telling me he's bluffing. Nice kids, these college boys. Tell me, was it Dartmouth or Danamora, Waldo? Shut up, copper. You killed John Arbogast to throw suspicion on Marty Estelle. Then you hired Waxnose to fake a holdup on Grover. Why? Again, to throw suspicion on Marty Estelle. To make it look as though Estelle was trying to stay, scare Grover into paying his gambling debts. If I hired Waxnose, why would I have shot him tonight? Because you like to kill people, Waldo. When I was brought out here tonight, Waxnose thought I was Grover in the car. He began to fake his holdup. But you just couldn't resist taking one of your snappy snapshots at Waxnose, could you, Waldo? Shut up, could you? Next. Mr. Wadsworth Jeter. Look here, Marlowe. You you can't accuse me of... of... Doctor, he's sick. Call a doctor. Call a... It's his heart. If Jeter dies, it's your fault, Marlowe. Okay, Waldo. Tell you what I'll do, Waldo. If Jeter dies, he doesn't have to pay me my fee. We're even. Okay, Waldo? Harriet Angel, listen, go call a doctor. And uh, while you're there, call the law, huh? <laughs> heart was as good as mine, if you want to make anything out of that. The law had Jeter and Waldo cold, and I mean cold. Me? Well, I went out a couple of times with Harriet, as I sat home with her a couple of times drinking her scotch. It was nice, all right, but I didn't have the money or the clothes or the manners. Still, I was sorry when she went to New York to live. She had absolutely the best scotch I ever tasted. Maybe because it was free. I don't know. Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X. X.